I will be reading from 1 Peter, it's chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, 8 to 12, and 22 to 25 this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Thank you very much, uh, Sandy. Appreciate it. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Great to see you today. Uh, thank you, Sandy, again for reading the uh, reading the scriptures. For those of you joining online, I've talked to so many people recently that have uh, joined online and they're um, enjoying uh, watching in their pajamas and eating a bagel and drinking coffee. If you're local and you're able. We'd love to have your presence. Nothing replaces your presence. So hope that you can uh, be with us here sometime. And for everybody in the room, it's, uh, it's great to see you today. We're in a series called uh, Rising Above the Storm. We're talking about hope. We're going through the book of First Peter. Before I get into that, anybody ever seen the Transporter movies before? Transporter? All right, good, good. More in this service than the last service. So that's good news. More people have seen the Transporter. So we're trying to create our own Transporter movie. And you'll see an announcement about that in the bulletin. So what we do is, is we do a stream over to West Falls Church, right next to the West Falls Church Metro, George Mason High School. But we back it up like a good baseball player. We back it up with a flash drive so we can create a glitch-free experience. And so what we're looking for, and again, you'll see more information in the bulletin about that. If you're a driver, like you feel like you could make it from here to there without stopping for coffee or an egg McMuffin, anything like that. You feel that you could do it. Like most people make it in 15 minutes. So if you could do it in 15 minutes or less without, of course, breaking any laws, right, we'd love for you to be on our transporter team. So uh, you can find the information about that, sign up for that. It's a huge, huge help because it's a great backup. Okay. All right. So quick review, all right? Uh, the way that we use the word hope is different from the way the Bible uses the word hope. It's a big deal. It's really, actually really, really big. So the Bible uses the word hope as, I mean, I mean we use the word hope as a, as a wishful thought. So we say, I, I hope so. And if you were here last week, you know, that we hope so. <laughs> so somebody asks you, you think you're getting a raise? You say, oh, I hope so. He says, do you think the Redskins will win? And you all say, hope so, hope so. 
because there's a cowboy fan in front of me. You hope the cowboys will lose. We say, hope so. Hope so. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's a wishful thought. But the Bible uses it completely different. The Bible uses it as a no-so because it says so hope. Hope is a certainty. It's firm. It's secure. It's not a hope so. It's a no-so. What's with the difference? And for today, what I really want to talk about is how, how, is, it that, how is it as a no-so? How is that possible? How can anything be a no-so? So here's the thing. If you like to fill in the blanks in the back of the bulletin, here's, here's something that's really important. Hope is the result of the new birth. Main, like, what is the entire letter of 1 Peter all about? What is this Bible telling us? Because, again, Peter is the apostle of hope. He's the apostle of encouragement. The letter is all about hope. Where's the hope coming from? He tells us in verse 3, we have been plunged into a living hope because of why? Because of the new birth. So the main source of hope Hope can come in a lot of different ways, but the main source of hope is the new birth or this born-again experience. And right there, we have a problem, this born-again thing, because there's tremendous misunderstanding about this word. I'll never get in one of the first churches that I served on staff. I got there, and there was a gentleman. He'd been in this church for many, many years. He was a leader in the church, and a couple of Sundays into it, um, he was talking to me, just random conversation. He says, look, we don't want any born-again Christians in this church. Oh, wow, okay. So for him, the word born-again, the words born-again or new birth was a political statement, okay? So let's get this clear. Born-again is a biblical statement indicating something, and for Peter, it is the main source of hope. It's how we're plunged into hope, that every single person needs to experience a new birth. In the Bible, there's only one type of Christian. There's not like, there's the born-again Christians and there's the other Christians. No, no. Everybody who's a Christian in the Bible has experienced the new birth. So what we want to do today is try to figure out what is this born-again new birth? What is it really? How does it happen? Since it is the result, it is, it is, the, it is the main source of hope that we find in the Bible. Verse 23, right, that we read. You have new birth into a living hope. So we've been plunged into hope. Verse 23, right? For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Do you notice a theme here? Living, right? Life, you know, living. Why is the new birth so important? Because there needs to be life, right? It needs to be alive. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. Anybody ever seen Lion King? Lion King? Anybody like Lion King? Okay, well, that's fancy. All right, so I, I saw the cheap version of Lion King. It means I didn't go see it on stage live, you know. Uh, I saw the cheap version, the animated version, which was incredible because James Earl Jones played the voice of Mufasa, right? And I mean, the success for that movie, 50% of it just rests, on, on, for me, on his voice alone because <laughs> amazing an amazing voice. It, and if you remember that, everybody, I'll try to recreate it if you haven't seen it, but you should go see it, okay? <laughs> try to recreate it here real quick. So Mufasa, the father, is having a talk with his son Simba, little, little Simba, and they're up on like this little mountaintop looking over the whole kingdom. And Simba's like, oh, dad, this is the whole, yes, this is the whole kingdom. Oh my gosh, look at it. So, you know, it's, it's so big. And that yes, everything in the kingdom, and you're responsible for it. Delicate balance. You got to be everything. Every, it, was, it was like, Simba's like, and then antelopes run by. He's like, Dad, 
you know, it's for everybody, delicate, but we're concerned about everything. Don't we eat those antelopes? Like, don't we track them down and brutally kill them and eat the antelopes? And Mufasa, James Earl Jones, says, yes, we do. But, but when we die, Simba, we become grass and the antelopes eat the grass. And so you see Simba, it's a wonderful what? Circle of life. And it's so beautiful, right? That's ins- yes. I mean, it's kind of an interesting spin on just a brutal death by the antelope, right? <laughs> Bloody gory. It's either you're going to die brutally or eventually like the lions who are the kings, right, of everything. Okay, you do that. So I just want to be something real, real clear, real clear here. The Bible never, ever, 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 ever puts a positive spin on death. Ever, never, ever. In the Bible, you never dress up death. Death is a brutal, unrelenting, cruel enemy. If you went to heaven today, not that you're going or you want to go today, but if you did and you walked into the post office, there would be only one picture up on the wall, most wanted, and it would be death, right? So it it is not a friend. Death is not, is not your friend. Jesus, John 11, 35, shortest verse in the entire Bible. Anybody know what it says? Before you look on the screen or the back, what does it say? Jesus wept, wept. When is that verse given? That verse everybody is given when Jesus shows up because Lazarus, his friend, has died. And you might say, this is strange. Why is he weeping? Because Jesus knows he's going to raise, he's going to do this miracle. He's going to raise him from, he's going to raise him from the dead. I want to say something real quick as a timeout, okay? Here's the thing. All these wonderful miracles people, uh, that Jesus did for people, he healed them and all, like Lazarus, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's something they all have in common where he provided for them and helped, gave wisdom, insight, healing, or whatever, the kind of resource. You know what they all have in common? Every single one of those people are dead. That should tell us something. Look, I feel great when something great happens to me and some great answer to prayer, but here's the thing that Peter makes so clear. We're all perishing. We're all fading. We're all dying. So enemy number one is not your rent, not your mortgage, not your job, right? Because there's going to come a day, like I said last week, when you could care less about the way you look. You don't care about your bills. You don't care about your career. There's going to come a day when you could absolutely care less and there's only one enemy left and that's death. And the Bible never, ever, ever puts a positive spin. So let's go back to Jesus, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. The word in Greek means to get really angry. So Jesus, there he is. He's not like, mm. poor Lazarus. He's like, ah, he's very angry. Why? Because death is the number one enemy. It's cruel. It's unrelenting. It's brutal. He set his sights on it. The Bible never dresses up death. Never dresses up. It's not a good thing. It's not a nice thing. It's an ugly thing. It's a terrible thing. And that's why the new birth is so very, very important. Came home a few weeks ago. My wife handed me, as she normally does. I didn't even get in the house, right? She just met me at the door with a big bag of trash. <laughs> Here you go, okay? And I noticed when I took it from her, I said, something smells good. I, what is that? Could the trash be smelling like that? What is with this? So I took it, and when I walked back in the garage, it was still lingering. There was still a good smell. What in the world? So I walked in. I was, my mind was just working. Now, you guys know this. I don't know this, but you all know this already. So I walked over, and I found the box that the liners came out of. Do you realize they're making scented liners? You guys knew this. So I didn't know this. 
like we're making the stinky, smelly trash with the fish and all that in there dying and rotten and smells so bad. We're even, we're dressing it up and make it smell good, right? The Bible never does that. Death is brutal. I spent quite a bit of time and, um, you know, for all my life, right? Because I'm a pastor in hospitals and nursing homes, but I spent a lot of time recently. Because uh, my father-in-law, you know, Big Russ, is uh, in his last days. It might be in his last hours. Now, some of you, that means something to you because you know who Big Russ is, right? You've been around a long time. You understand who Big Russ was. Russ, like, was the face of grace for the first seven or eight years. I've, I've been here since the history of this church. More people knew Big Russ than they knew me. He was the head greeter. <laughs> That's, and he just, he was, you know, he was a huge hero. My brother-in-law just passed away two weeks ago. Uh, from cancer. And my mother-in-law, Big Russ's wife, my mother-in-law, Ev, she uh, is actually in the nursing home right next to Russ. And Krista's not here today because she spent the night in the nursing home last night and because uh, she thinks it's going to be any moment, any moment, Big Russ is going to pass away. He's down to about 95 pounds. So I was talking to my mother-in-law the other night. It's late one night and uh, everything they've been through in this dying phase. And you know what she said? She said, this is hell. Did a baby dedication this morning. That's joyous. That's a baby. That's every, right? We smile. How often do you walk through a nursing home watching people in those final, miserable, aggravating stages of death and say, yes, this is beautiful. The Bible never dresses it up. Why is that born-again experience necessary? Why do we need to experience the new birth? Because death is brutal and it's coming after all of us. It is enemy number one. And the source of hope in the Bible is the new birth, the born-again experience. And that's something that all of us, all of us need to experience in our lives. So I want to focus on this, if I can, this morning. Dylan Thomas, some of you know these words, do not go gentle into that good night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. I think that's what Jesus was doing, John eleven thirty five. 35. So we're going to fo- focus this morning briefly on how to experience how to experience the no-so. So what is the seed? Three things I want to talk about. The seed, the soil, and the spirit. Three things. The seed, the soil, the spirit. What are they? What do they mean? What does that have to do with the new birth? All right? So what exactly is the seed? Verse 23 of our text today says it is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And that, that Word of God has the power of life in it. So the seed, you think about a seed that goes into soil, right? That seed then can produce life eventually. You don't see it Im- immediately, which we're going to get into next week because there's where some more confusion lies. But eventually you'll see the light. So if you had like an acorn and the soil was right, you could cover this entire planet with wood, couldn't you? Because the power is in the seed. And what it says here is the, it is the Word of God. And in the Word of God is the power for life. It gets planted according to the Bible, into our hearts, and it causes life, causes life to take place. Now, we've got to ask ourselves, so what is the Word of God? What exactly, this is really important. So, I actually, if you've been in church all your life, I would encourage you to tune in more because this is where it gets really confusing. Jesus is having a conversation with a church guy a church guy that knew the Bible, like knew the Bible really, really, really well, memorized the first five books of the Bible. He could just verbatim, give you all first five books of the Bible. He knew the instructions. He knew the data. And Jesus says to him in Matthew 22, he says, you don't know the scriptures and you have not experienced the power of God. Whoa, wait a minute. 
So what is the Scriptures? What is the Word of God? And what is this power of life that we're talking about? Because obviously something's misunderstood. And for some reason, there is a, a disposition, a predisposition to misunderstanding this. Why is there a predisposition to misunderstand? What is the Word of God? Is the Word of God instructions about how to be born again? Is the Word of God instructions about how to experience salvation in the new birth? Or is the seed, is the seed a story about somebody who followed all the instructions? Look at uh, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel, you know what that word means? It means a story. So here's, maybe you heard somebody say the word gospel before. I heard people say gospel all the time. Like, you know what? I'm not really sure I know what the gospel means. I realized the word gospel means a story and it is a summary. It's a summary of the entire message, of the entire story of the Bible. So the gospel is not a set of instructions that we follow so that we get somewhere. It is a story about something that has already happened, not something that I do. And that story, by its very nature, the word gospel means it infuses me with joy. So when you read the Bible, are you filled with joy? So the seed, the word, the seed is a he. The seed is a he, not a list of instructions. John makes that really clear. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Throughout, without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. There it goes. Life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, some versions say the darkness has not understood it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Okay, so the seed is a he. So here's how things work in this world. We all know this. You work, you get paid. How many of you guys uh, work someplace that they say, you don't have to do any work, we're just going to pay you? <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be nice. No work, just get paid. This is the way the world works, and it makes total, absolute sense. I work, I get paid. You work, you get paid. We do stuff, we get paid. Now, that is it's the paradigm we work under. Right? I've studied religions. I've made it, you know, just to try to clarify. Not Look, I want to say this. I have no interest in putting other religions down. Zero. I, zero including no religion at all. I just don't, doesn't, it doesn't jazz me up. I have no, no. But I am interested in understanding a clarification about what is this, and it seems like Christianity, the seed, the word, is really confused. So I will say this to you, right? I've taken a number of religion courses. The major religions of the world, they all work off of this, you work, you get paid paradigm. There's a list of, there's a list of instructions and things that you follow to do so that you hope. And here's the thing about them. You don't know so, but you hope so that you have done enough things that the scales are in your favor and that you receive salvation. I don't, I don't think I'm off the mark on that after lots of courses that I've taken. It's just the way it is, right? It's the way it is. That's not Christianity. Here is the main, if you're, if, if you're looking at all and you say, oh, okay, yeah, I got it. So I'm just choosing, this is the way I've chosen. Other people have chosen this way. They're all the same. It's just, right, it's all similar, right? It's all the same, but I've just chosen this path. You haven't understood what the seed is really all about because it's, it's, it's an inversion. 
if you read the Bible and you don't see that it's a total inversion of things. In this world we work, we get paid. In, in, in every religion of the world that I know of, every major religion in the world, you follow instructions and you hope that you get paid. Christianity, which I don't really believe is a religion, Christianity is, it's a story. It's a story about what has been done for you. That's what the seed is in the story because it's so compelling when it's understood just causes you to be filled, infused with hope and joy according to Peter. It plunges you into hope when understood. But you, you, you'll talk to, and I've experienced in my own life, you're like, well, I'm just not, I don't have joy, I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling any hope, but it's, it's, all, it's all the same. I tried, it didn't work. I tried, you know, to do all these things. Of course, of course, of course it doesn't because it's an inversion. Tried it in the paradigm that you're in. Okay, sports radio. I'm listening. The other day, sports radio station, they're interviewing a Redskin, right? I know many of you, you're just so pumped about the beginning of the season. And um, you're hanging on every piece of information that comes out in the news about what's going on in Redskins camp and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So they, <laughs> they're interviewing a guy and, you know, he's working hard. He's doing well in camp. Okay? And they said, so have you secured your spot on the team? And what did he say? Hope so. Don't know so, but I hope so. Then he followed up with this. If I keep doing the right things, tackles, interceptions, blah, blah, blah. If I keep doing the right things, I'm going to be okay. That's what he said. I'm gonna, I said, that's interesting. So I'm in the hospital. Not the, I'm in the nursing home the other night. I'm talking to a guy, church guy, total church guy, knows the Bible, been in church all his life, just total, total, total church guy. And we're talking about death and talking about, you know, the end of life, right? Because we're surrounded by it. And here's what he says to me. He says, if I keep doing the right things, I will be okay. That is a clear misunderstanding of the gospel story. The gospel story, and why is it a no-so, is Jesus did all the right things, died, resurrected, overcame death, and because he did the right things, I know so I'm in, right? Because of what he did. Not because I. It's either on me or it's on Jesus. And the gospel is all about Jesus, and hope so is all about me. It's a big, big difference. Have you seen that? Does that make sense to you? Do you feel that? Okay, that's what the seed is. Seed. What's the soil? Matthew 13. Jesus speaking about what the good soil is. Again, if a seed of life goes into good soil, right? If an acorn goes into good soil, there was, we could fill this entire planet with wood, right? It was the good soil. Okay, so here we go. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. So there's a problem if we don't understand. If there's confusion, if we think the seed is a list of instructions, of things that I do, I keep doing the right thing, I'll be okay. There's not an understanding, and then there's no power, and there's no new life, and there's no plunging into hope. All right. Seed who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding, and then here's a supernatural crop. <laughs> 160 or 30 times what was sown. I mean, that's big. That's a supernatural harvest. But the understanding is what is important, and we're prone to confusion because the world we work in is I work, I get paid. And so we just keep putting everything through that paradigm over and over and over again. Which way do you see the Word of God? Which way do you see the seed? When you understand it that way, the gospel message about something that's been done for you. Okay, so religion is this. 
I offer God a good record by me trying to do the best I can to follow whatever religion I'm following. I follow the path, the plan, eightfold path, five pillars, whatever it might be. I do that. I follow that. And then I offer God the good record and hopefully the scales are in my favor and I get in. Right? There's the one side. Here's what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus Christ perfectly followed the entire law to perfection. It's been done. It's a done deal. And he gives me his perfect record by mercy and by grace. Now, it's very humbling. Now, here's, and I'm going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks, but I know somebody is immediately going to say, because we're like, oh, wait a minute. You're just then saying anybody can do whatever they want. If that is your immediate reaction, because that was my immediate reaction for decades of my life, for decades of my life, there's a great chance you don't understand the seed or the gospel because you know that once you've experienced the new birth, you know, the new birth is like receiving a new nature. It's like it's not being conformed to something. This is what we're great at churches. We try to conform people to something. It's actually being transformed, right? That's what the Bible says, being transformed, I mean, a new nature. Like you've gone from being a cat to a dog. You have a to two different natures there. And you know that you don't have to worry about that anymore if you have the new birth because you would know that somebody who has really experienced the new birth would say, ah, oh, just do anything I want then. Would, you would never say that, ever, ever, ever say that. That's why Paul says the things that he does in the scriptures that is so absolutely amazing because you've gone from being a cat to dog and nobody likes cats. <laughs> I don't like dogs, it's true. I like no animals. I'm obligated, religion says, I'm obligated to God, a good record, then I hope God is obligated to let me in. In the gospel, Jesus gives me his perfect record, and then I, out of joy, I serve him. I serve. Now, there's a wonderful verse here. Uh, maybe you caught it when Sandy just read it, right? A wonderful verse. It's in verse number 12. It says, the gospel has been preached to you, a story, summation of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then it ends with this, this is amazing thing. Even the angels long to look into that. Do you know what that word in Greek means? It means they are obsessed with it. Think with me for a second, everybody. This is amazing. The angels who were there with God in the Holy of Holies, right? And all that they've seen, the whole universe and all the knowledge, all the incredible things and the knowledge that the angels have seen, right? They have seen it. What would actually jazz them so much that they would like drop their jaw and say, and can't stop staring at it. Can't stop staring. What would make them do that? You know what does it? The gospel. Because they understand it. And they are absolutely amazed by it. Here's the question. Here's the question. Do you understand the seed? Do you understand the gospel? You will know you understand it when you find yourself in awe of it. When you can't stop like the angels. Look, not, not into the instructions. No, 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 no. To the story of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You'll know that you're starting to get it and understand it when you, like the angels who have seen far more than any of us, can't hold your mouth up because you are amazed. I didn't get it. I've been in church my entire life. I've been to Bible college. I got a master's divinity. If somebody was explaining it to me, I wasn't understanding it. That's for sure. But one day, like, oh my goodness, why didn't anybody tell me this before? And something came alive in me. So is the Bible for you, when you read the Bible, do you just see all the instructions? You go out and you poll people on the sidewalk. Well, you tell me, what do you think Christianity is? Oh, yeah. What is church? Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of stuff not to do and a bunch of stuff to do. That's what it is. Here's what they're against. Here's what they're for. That's what it is. 
Is it, when you read the Bible, is it a list of instructions or is it a joy-infusing story that mesmerizes you? Which one is it? Let's go through some of the stories because religion, religion is basically a list of instructions that I do. The gospel is a story, is a story about something that has been done for me. So when I read it, like this famous story about David and Goliath, all you have to do is watch ESPN to at least know the story, at least the words David and Goliath, Right? David, little fellow, big, huge, right? How do you read that story? Okay, so you got David. Here it is, this guy, right? Young guy, teenager guy, not a big guy, but a disciplined guy. I mean, he disciplined himself every day, drilled, drilled. He was a soldier, drilled, 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 using that, using it, using it, using it. So he was so stinking good at that that when he went up with Goliath, because he was so disciplined, bam, right, took him out. He was so brave. I mean, all the other macho guys in the army, they were, but he was, everybody. He was so courageous. His brothers wouldn't do it, but he marched right down there. I mean, you know. That's incredible. What do you learn from that story? So what is your takeaway? Guys, what is your takeaway? You better be brave. You better be tough. You better be disciplined. You better be a warrior. You better have a warrior spirit and not back down from anybody. Is that your takeaway? That's what your takeaway is if it's a list of instructions. But if the story is really about Jesus Christ, maybe what you see is something different. Maybe you see is, you know what? David went down there. He risked his life. He didn't lose his life, but he risked his life. And everybody up on the hill standing there watching what he did was saved. The entire army was saved by the actions of that one man. And if the story is really about Jesus Christ, you say Jesus Christ went into that valley of the shadow of death. He didn't risk his life. He lost his life so that everybody standing on the mountainside was saved. Do you see the story or do you just see the list of instructions? Because the list of instructions, according to the Bible, according to Jesus, is a crushing weight, a heavy burden that you won't be able to bear. And you'll feel it. And you know what you'll probably end up doing? You'll put that burden on everybody else. And then everybody else who's out in the world will come along and they'll be totally confused about what the church of Jesus Christ really is and the gospel message. And then you know who loses out? All of us. And here we are in a hopeless society. How about Esther? What an amazing story. Have you read the story of Esther? You should read the story of Esther. It's a very short but so compelling Here you have this young Jewish woman living in this Persian country, right? And the king got upset with the queen and now he's going to get a new queen. It'd be nice to be the king. Anyway, Krista's not here. She's Krista's not here. Don't tell her I said that. Because I'll be in amazing trouble. Okay? So he, uh, you know, he's, he puts on a beauty pageant, everybody. And she's drop-dead gorgeous. That's Esther. I mean, she is the most beautiful, elegant, classy, wise. Oh, my gosh. She wins the beauty pageant hands down. But then her people people. There's a plot against her people, plot against her people. And so she risks the palace in order to save her people. Well, ladies, if it's a bunch of instructions, there you go. That's what you're shooting for. It's a lot of pressure, don't you think? I don't think God's putting that pressure on you, unless it's a story about Jesus, really, unless it's really a story about Jesus Christ. Jesus who gave up his palace to come down here. He didn't risk his life. He lost his life so that all of his people would be saved. It's a big difference between instruction and story. Paul says, you know, 
Romans 7, powerful verses, everybody, powerful verses. This is all the instructions gave birth to death in me. It was a crushing weight. And he cries out at the end of Romans 7, who is going to free me from this body of death? Who's going to do it? Jesus Christ is going to do it because it's a story, not a list of instructions. And until we see that inversion there, we don't fully understand it. Until our mouths are hanging open and we see that story, we don't fully understand it. We have to see. We have to understand. That is what the good soil really is. All right, there's one last piece, and I'll end with this. It's really important. It's the spirit. So you got a seed, and you got the soil, which you now understand the seed, okay? Finally, it takes the spirit. You can't leave the spirit out, okay? So just like it takes, without getting too graphic, takes two people, a man and a woman, to make a child, okay? It takes the seed and it takes the spirit to bring about new birth. In other words, you're not, and I was, had a brief discussion with a couple here in the lobby just mom, moments ago, and uh, they were saying, uh, you know, the wife said it wasn't like she made the decision all by herself to get pregnant. Okay, we'll just leave it at that, okay? I want you, I, I, I won't get too great. I just want to say this. You don't make the decision all by yourself. I'm just going to get born again today. I always thought that. I always thought that. All right? That's it, man. I'm convicted. I'm tired of living this way. Today's the day. I'm going to start doing all of this for Jesus, and I'm going to stop doing all this for Jesus. I'm getting born again today. Or I try to convince all of you. You should be born again. Come on. And if I do a good enough job and we play good enough music, maybe we will mesmerize you enough and convince you to be born again. But you know what? It actually doesn't work that way because uh, it takes the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is sitting in that driver's seat along with us. We just don't simply make that decision. And I'll point this out because uh, Jesus has this amazing discussion with Nicodemus. It's famous. It's famous. And look at the words that Jesus Christ says. His flesh gives birth to flesh. Right? You make the decision. Oh, today's the day I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be born again. Everything's going to be fine. He said, no, no. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You can't control the Spirit. You hear its sound and you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone, everyone born of the Spirit. This is a famous story. Nicodemus knew the Bible. He followed the instructions of the Bible. And Jesus says, you must be born again. But he's doing it. He's doing it. But you need the Spirit. The Spirit has not opened your heart and planted the seed into your heart and you have a misunderstanding, Nicodemus, about what the seed is in the, in the first place. You think it's all instruction and you need to see that it's a story. And then after you see it's a story, you can't control the Spirit. It's like a wind. It's going to blow into your life. And it's going to cause you to be born again. Takes two. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit become the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. It's planted in our hearts. Verse 12 of our text, verse 12 says, the gospel was preached to you, how? By the Holy Spirit. Famous story, Acts chapter 16. Paul speaking to a whole group of people. Look what it says. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It takes the Holy Spirit to help us understand. These are spiritually discerned. It takes a revelation from the Spirit. We just can't make ourselves born again. There's two things at work here. 
Good soil, seed and word. Seed, seed and spirit come together and we are born again. This is why Ephesians 1 says, right? He has made known to us the mystery. Everybody. The mystery of the gospel. It's talking about the gospel, what the Bible is really all about. The mystery. You won't find this about any other religion. You won't ever find anybody say the Ten Commandments are a mystery. There's no mystery to the Ten Commandments. They're not a mystery at all. All right, thou shalt not lie. No mystery there. I don't lie. Simple. It's understandable. Right? Thou shalt not lie, steal, cheat, steal, whatever. Right? There's no mystery. But it says here that this is a mystery. Ephesians chapter 3. The mystery made known to me how? By revelation. Revelation is a divine act. I've already written briefly. In reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. It's now been revealed by how? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Let me end with a story that I think will maybe illustrate this. Okay? John Wesley. John Wesley, what a great story about John Wesley. Uh, this is a person, uh, basically the founder of the United Me- of the Methodist Church, not the United Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, but the Methodist Church. This guy, his father was a, was a pastor. He grew up in church. His mother was famous for raising godly children. Uh, this guy devoted hours of his day every day to reading and praying, uh, studying and serving. You know, it's all about the Bible, all about the Bible. This was his whole life. He led something in Oxford called the Holy Club. You ever led anything like that? This, this guy, the Holy Club. So you get where this guy is coming from. I mean, he knew the Bible. He was acting it out. He was following the instructions. He knew all this stuff very well versed. He was doing it. Okay. So he came to here, to America, to Georgia, to the state of Georgia, right? He came there because he was, on a, he was on a mission, right? So this is back in the 1700s. He went there uh, for, for a mission. When he is coming here, he's on a ship. And in the ship, they have this huge storm, right? Tremendous wind, the ships being tossed all over the place. And he realizes this guy who's following all the instructions of the Bible that says he has a living hope is curled up in a corner, scared to death. He's like, oh my gosh, the storm has revealed something about me. If I have a living hope through the new birth, I must not have the new birth. There's something wrong. And there was a group of Moravian Christians, and they were like singing and dancing, just having a great, like, whoa. He said, what do they have going on on the inside of them? What is it? And he was, something wrong. So he began to question. Think about it. Then he's in Georgia. And when he's in Georgia, he falls in love with a girl. Now there's a problem because she doesn't fall in love with him. And he asks her, will you marry me? And she says, no. Now he's pastoring the local church. And the following Sunday, she shows up at church with another guy. Yes. And she comes forward to take communion, and he says, nope. (laughs) I'm not serving you communion. All right? Now, he definitely hasn't experienced the new birth, right? So not serving you communion. And he held fast. That was a big deal. Church service ended. No, we're not doing it. You're gone. Very angry. But in the aftermath of that, he's like, there's something wrong with me. (laughs) So he goes back over to England and he begins to talk to Moravians more and they're explaining, explaining this is what the Bible's about. It's about the gospel. It's about a story. It's not about instructions. You're doing the instructions. Hey, buddy, you're doing better the instructions than we are. But you haven't been plunged into the hope that the Bible talks about. So he starts to get it. And you know what he does? He starts to explain to other people. And he actually one day explained to a guy, a guy had never heard the story before. And boom, spirit comes down on the guy. He's like, oh my gosh. And he's just filled with joy because the story filled him with joy and hope. And Wesley's like, what's up? Why can't I? What's wrong with me? And he's praying and praying and praying. But you can't make yourself born again, everybody. You can't just say here today, that's it. I'm doing it. Doesn't happen that way. We're not in the driver's seat that much. 
We can understand it. And then one night, he's been praying, praying. One night, he's at Aldersgate. That's why you drive around the country. You see a lot of Methodist churches called Aldersgate. He's listening to the story again, Martin Luther's preface to the uh, letter to the Romans, all about the story, the seed of the word of God, the gospel message. And then he says these words. We have it in his diary. I felt my heart strangely warmed. Spirit planted that seed in his heart and his life was never the same. Have you experienced that? My prayer is that whether it's here or West Falls Church or somebody watching in front of a screen, that we would have that wind of the Spirit move upon us, open our hearts like Lydia and plant that seed and we would experience that new birth. I can't convince you of it. I'm not even going, I would, I used to try, but that's, I understand now. I just hope to explain it the right way and I hope and pray. And if you have experienced a new birth, I hope, you hope and, I hope you're praying with me on that too, that all of us would be plunged into hope from the new birth. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you for the story of the word that just inflicts us with hope and joy, not a burden, not crushing us. God, please, Holy Spirit, let your wind blow in this place and like Lydia, open our hearts and plant the story into our hearts and fill us with your joy. Bless us and help us, Lord. Plunge us into your hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.